episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley, the founder of ChristianGospelChurch.org. And together, we're examining the history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. Charles, this is going to be a very difficult episode, for me at least. Um, (laughs) This is something that, honestly, I've wanted to do for years, and I'm not a teacher by nature, so... I'm not really the one to do this, but um, we're going to try to get into racism and anti-Semitism in the message, which is, it's quite honestly a very fascinating topic, but also very difficult because as a person who was raised and indoctrinated in this, you know, I, I had no idea that I was that way. And then when I came to realize it was extremely difficult for me and I'm going to put the disclaimer out very early in the show. We've got different um, varieties of people who are watching and listening, and we have people who are in the message who were indoctrinated this way and people who are researching the message and its effects and mainstream Christianity, etc. And if you are in the message currently and you're listening to this show this is probably not the show for you because we're going to be fully examining the very horrific things that William Branham said and to be very open and honest it's going to make you very angry and it's not something that's very easy to take because of the way in which we're indoctrinated you have to understand the bulk of the rest of the history surrounding what we're about to talk about today before this even makes sense. So I'm going to say, if you're in the message, this probably isn't the podcast for you. And, you know, in the comment feeds, etc. if you disagree, it's not this episode that's going to convince you. It's the historical information that comes after this in our podcast that really makes this, um, makes people understand what this is. If you're not in the message, you'll hear the things we're going to say and you'll be like, oh my gosh, they taught the people this. And for that crowd, yeah, you're probably going to enjoy this because most people who are outside of the cult looking in have no idea that this is actually still taught today in churches and in schools that are controlled by the cult. But, um, Charles, I'll, I'll let you explain what what it is we're going to talk through, and we'll get um, deeply into this subject that, honestly, for me, it's going to be very difficult to explain, and I'm very glad that I have you to help me explain it. <laughs> yeah, so in our last few episodes, we, we've been looking at the message's connections to Christian identity theology, to British Israelism, and honestly to white supremacy groups and views, and men, of course, like Gerald Winrod and Wesley Swift. And in this episode, we want to take a little time to look specifically at how some of their anti-Semitic views um, influenced William Branham and the message. And now in general, John, I, I, like you, I'd add a little disclaimer. I would not categorize the average message believer as being anti-Semitic. 
because, you know, a lot like the racial elements that we talked about, most people in the message are kind of oblivious to the history of the ideology. They have no idea where this stuff came from. They think William Branham got it in a divine inspiration from God, right? They, they, it, it's not even part of their understanding that this stuff was actually influenced by Nazi ideology via Christian identity theology. Um, so it's in the message they they it 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 like you said John this will just blow people's heads if they listen to this yeah uh, so yeah this is probably not the best place to start if you're in the message first you kind of need to wrap your mind around the people that William Branham was actually uh, associating with um, to understand where he got this stuff from um, so you know I I think one of the first place we should start really honestly is the very obvious stuff. Um, and one very obvious common thing that William Branham did very, very frequently throughout his sermons was William Branham made a lot of anti-Semitic slurs against Jewish people. I mean, it was very common in his sermons. Yes. Um, and we, we could definitely share some quotes, but one really anti-Semitic thing he frequently said was he used the term hook-nosed Jew. That was a frequent term that William Branham employed when talking about Jewish people. He called them hook-nosed Jews. And another frequent anti-Semitic slur William Branham used was the was the word shyster. He frequently called Jewish people shysters, um, and you'll you'll find that running throughout his sermons as well. Uh, you'll find that that's also a term that's generally viewed as anti-Semitic when used towards Jewish people. And the truth is, those are just a couple examples of the very frequent anti-Semitic terms that that William Branham used, and. I know, you know, the 1950s and the 1960s were a different era, era, but, you know, even back then, John, people acknowledged that saying things like that was not appropriate, right? Like, it, it using words like that to describe Jewish people was not okay back then either, right? Like, it, it was definitely a feature of, of people with racist views towards Jews that use those terms. And so... So you have that, and then I, I think another very obvious thing when you look at William Branham's sermons is that you'll find that he perpetuated many different anti-Semitic stereotypes, um, especially the ones about money, right? Um, William Branham frequently told his audiences that the Jewish people controlled the wealth of the world. And in fact, I know this, the preachers in my sect of the message, they, we, I feel like in my sect, John, like we were, we were, we were dumb. We were very stupid about this stuff. We felt like it was – I always felt like they were complimenting the Jews when they said they had all the money. Is that how you felt about it? Like like whenever they would get up there and they talk about it and they talk about the Jews controlling the world's wealth and controlling yeah. Wall Street. Like to me, I thought, oh, they're complimenting the Jews. But I don't think they was, John. You know, I learned by sheer accident that this was a derogatory thing that William Branham was doing. Complete accident. I was um, – and I'll pause and say this again. If you are offended by these things that we're about to say as examples, this is not the show for you. I'm going to be very open, honest, and blunt about the things that are taught, said, and discussed in the message. <clears throat> but um, one of the common things that I heard growing up in several of the churches was that whenever you were trying to basically 
I'm using the word con loosely, but con people out of their money. In other words, you're, you get into a, some sort of a business transaction and you get the upper hand and then somebody comes along and tries to swindle you out of money. One of the common things that was said, I've heard it from ministers, I've heard it from family, friends, etc. is again, this is awful, <laughs> Jew people out of money. And I learned this by sheer accident. I mean, I w- again, I was raised from birth in this thing. I said these things. I heard these things. This was a very common thing. And when I got into the corporate environment, you cannot imagine the look of anger on the person's face who was a Jew who heard me say this. And I learned right then that, wait a minute, there are some things that we were taught that I can't say in front of other people. And it really... You know, looking back, it really played tug of war with my mind because here are these things that is very common to our culture that's offensive to other cultures. How am I supposed to win those people over to back then? It was win them over to Branham when Branham is the one who's saying these things. And, right, you, you know, right. it's, it's horrific. He used a lot of anti-Semitic language uh, in his messages. And, you know, like the, like the thing about talking about, like William Branham said so many times that the Jews controlled the world's wealth. But, you know, things like that, it, not only is it not, uh, it's anti-Semitic, it's not even true, right? It's, it's, and these are things you learn through time, John. Like, I'm the same thing. O- over time, you know, as you get older and you read and learn things, you realize, wait a minute, these things that he's saying is just, these are just conspiracy theories. These are crazy conspiracy theories. And I, I looked before this, before we uh, recorded this episode to, just to see, and you can go out, there's um, a, a national wealth report that comes out every year. Some foundation puts it out, and it's got all the world's religions listed in it. And, and all the Jewish people in the entire world only control about 1% of the world's wealth. Like, the Jews do not control the world's wealth. Like, it's just... Uh, it's just a myth, but that that's something that William Branham would tell, and that's actually a big one of the main uh, stereotypes uh, that anti-Semitic people use against Jews. Yeah, and it was a big part of Klan propaganda that spread. Yeah. You know, uh, even today, I have been in discussion groups, etc., where people are talking about the the Jews that are controlling Hollywood, the Jews that are controlling government. You know. It's, it's very interesting because you have this group of hundreds, I mean hundreds of people with different varieties of race, culture, etc., who are also controlling. But if there's one single Jewish person on the forum or on the group that is controlling, it's the, it's the Jewish person that they single out because it's not just William Branham. The movement that he was a part of influenced the culture in America, and that culture spread into a bazillion different conspiracy theories about Jewish people. It's really a sad thing that those kind of myths go on. You know, another, I'll say a big lie, another big lie that was in the message that has its roots in anti-Semitism is also some of the things that the message believed around the Holocaust, actually. Yeah. You know, it it's widely believed in the message. William Branham taught this himself. I'll read you some quotes. You know, he taught that God wanted the Jewish people out of Europe, out of North America, basically, the Jews needed to be expelled from everywhere in the world and sent back to Israel. Like, that was a belief of William Branham. And he taught that 
basically the Jews did not want to leave America and did not want to leave Europe because they had got wealthy and comfortable in those countries, and that God sent the Holocaust and persecution and anti-Semitism in order to make those places uncomfortable so that the Jews would leave and move back to Israel. So that that is a, you know, very clearly stated teaching of William Branham. And so, uh, yeah, and it's widespread in the message. And I, I'm going to make you laugh a little bit here and embarrass myself in front of in front of the audience. This was one of the homework items that you gave me, Charles, and, and while we were discussing privately, and it was so deeply indoctrinated into my head that it was a good thing for all of the Jewish people to be, you know, concentrated back into one area, and it was biblical times, and it, I mean, this was a deeply rooted doctrine for me. That even when we started talking through it, I was like, "Yeah, but it's it's biblical, Charles. It's it's in the in in the Bible. I can find Pat." But then, I read one article that was talking about the discrimination and anti-Semitism, and take Chinese people. Is it a good thing for the entire globe to persecute Chinese people and take everyone who has Chinese? Um, heritage or you know chinese ancestry out of the united states out of canada out of mexico and then put them back in this little tiny location and say this is your place it's it's awful but that's how deeply this was you know embedded into my being yeah and and it is along with quite a few things if you take the actual practical implementation of the things that william branham a lot of them that he taught the end result is covert segregation. Like that is, if you carry out a lot of his teachings to their logical conclusion, it 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 brings about segregation, right? And so it's interesting, you know, that that things like this that he focused on have the convenient side effect of of implementing segregation, right? Because that's really what what the end result of it is. It's it's separating out. Um, races of people that the Jew, or rather that the, the Klan or the Nazis or these figures didn't like and separating them from the white people is, is, is what the end result of some of this stuff is. And, you know, but, but the, the, really that thing that he would tell about the, the Jews getting comfortable in Europe and wanting to stay there and wouldn't go back to Israel, that's also a myth. That is not true. Um, the Jews were desperately trying to get out of Europe yeah. leading up to the Holocaust. You know, I've got, I've got, this is the history of Zionism. This is actually a very good book. It's by a man named Walter Lacour. Wonderful book if someone wants to read the history of Zionism. The Jewish people were desperately trying to get out of Europe in the years leading up to World War II and the Holocaust. But nobody would take them. Yeah. Nobody would take them. They, and they tried to go to Israel. They petitioned. They begged to go to Israel. And the government would not open up to permit them to immigrate to Israel, right? So... It's just not true that the Jews were comfortable in Europe and happy to live there and did not want to get out before the Holocaust came. Like, that's not true. And and you know what? At the end of the day, you know, if, if Jewish people want to move to Israel, I think that's a wonderful thing, John. You know, we're I'm a huge supporter of the nation of Israel, and that's one thing that the message is. The message is... Um, a, is huge supporters of the nation of Israel. And on that aspect, a lot of them will say... Well, we can't possibly be anti-Semitic because we are huge supporters of the nation of Israel. But they don't realize all these other 
things in their ideology that did come out of these anti-Semitic views through Christian identity theology, which we're going to talk through some more. But, you know, if, if Jewish people want to voluntarily move, well, I think that's fine, right? But it's when, when you think it's okay or necessary or even... Um, let me just read what William Branham says about this. How about that? Okay. <laughs> let's, let's read William Branham's quote. He says, <clears throat> this is from the sermon, The Third Exodus, uh, from 1963. William Branham says, as it was in Germany and up into Russia and Italy, the people raised up Josephs and Hitlers, Stalin, Mussolini, who hated the Jews. They had to go back to their homeland. God, you always got ways of doing things that we don't understand, and you press them. No home in Germany, everything taken from them, also in Italy, Russia, no place to go. And they were sent back to their homeland just to fulfill the word. Oh, the loving hand of God. How sometimes it looks cruel the way the people suffer, but it's still the tender hand of Jehovah. You know, William Branham, you know, in context there, he's referring specifically to the anti-Semitism, to the Holocaust there, John. And in his terminology, he refers to that as the tender hand of Jehovah, right? So throughout the message, and this is universally, almost universally believed, everywhere that I know, almost everyone that I know, that God sent the Holocaust to persecute the Jews to make them go home. And it was all, it was all ordained to God, just like William Branham calls it there, the tender hand of Jehovah. Yeah, it's... I, again, it was difficult for me to understand this, um, and I did come to the conclusion that the quote-unquote tender hand of Jehovah causing the Holocaust was a very, very racist thing long before we recorded this podcast. But, uh, you know, in the Da Vinci Code, there's the guy that, you know, that beats himself and that, that persecutes himself. There is a strong presence of this type of Christian who will listen to William Branham's statements about the tender hand of Jehovah slaughtering millions and millions of men, women, and children. And they'll say, yes, this is the tender hand of Jehovah. But what it does, Charles, it paints a different picture of God. It's a very different God. It's not the Christian God. It's a God who slaughters the innocent. And that is the type of God that is presented in the message. And it's to the extent that when we left the message church and we began, you know, attending other churches and I'm learning about grace, which is something that's almost never taught in the message, at least in the churches that I attended. And I start to understand that, wait a minute, God's not this, uh, this horrific deity that loves to slaughter millions of people. I started to understand that, wait a minute, the Bible is not even the same Bible that I'm reading when I'm, you know, when I left this cult, it paints such a different picture of God, but yet people who are indoctrinated in this thing believe in this deity that is quite honestly, it's not much different than the gods of Baal that were, you know, people were sacrificing their children to. So I, again, it was difficult for me to come to that realization, but that's how deeply rooted the anti-Semitism, the racism is in the message. You know the the Holocaust was a horrific thing, and to and to suggest that you know God was 
behind the Holocaust and not the devil <laughs> is is just uh, it it it's terrible. But you will know where I don't. I mean, it 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 it's backwards, John. It's just backwards what the message honestly does with this. Um, Another funny thing that I'll tell you is <clears throat> music is new to me, and there's this the notion in music that if a muse if a song talks about a bad thing, it's a bad song. This is deeply rooted into our ideology and there's this song called sympathy for the devil by the rolling stones and because it had the word devil in it it took me years before i'd listen to the song and when i finally understood its meaning i was like wow that is it's amazing it's it's talking about all of the things that that the rolling stones of all people you know credited the devil for being behind and you know it talks about world events like this, it started to make me realize that, wait a minute, even the Rolling Stones understood God and the devil better than William Branham and the message. Yeah. And, you know, another thing in my sect of, in my sect of the message, again, William Branham taught this. I know other sects believed it too, but generally, um, the message believes that the Jewish people by and large cannot be saved and, and become part of the church. That's a, a fairly... Yeah fairly widespread belief as well. Um, and William Branham taught this. God, he, he taught specifically that God will not deal with Jews as individuals. He, he, that's something he very specifically taught, like Jews can't have personal relationships. You'll find him talking about that. God does not deal with Jews as individuals. Um, and he would say God only would deal with the Jews as a nation, right? Like he would yeah. only deal with the, you know, if they go back to the land of Israel, and then God will deal with them as a whole and save them as a whole. And so he totally forbid any sort of evangelization towards Jewish people. Um, and le let me read a quote where he says that. William Branham, this is from the sermon, Gabriel's Instructions to Daniel. He says, So you see, God never did deal with the Jews. I want you to keep this in mind as long as Israel. That's when I tried to tell this brother sitting over here that's talking about going to Israel, stay away from Israel. Stay away from it. All you people talking about converting the Jews. So he then goes on to say, Before this message is over, you'll see, Thus saith the Lord, by the word and the Spirit, Israel will be converted over the whole nation in one night. The Bible said so, but the gospel's not even to them. There's a few wow. renegades that's out, and so forth, that come in and get saved outside of the main body. I believe that with all my heart, but remember, as long as Israel is out of their nation, they cannot be saved. As long as Israel is out of their nation, they cannot be saved. So, you know, William Branham um, set up this scenario whereby the Jews could ultimately end up being saved, but only once they are completely <laughs> out of mm -hmm. America and out of Germany and out of all these countries and put back into the land of Israel, uh, then, then they could be saved. So, you know, there's the message takes, my sect takes this literally, and... There was zero evangelization towards Jewish people. Any sort of evangelization towards Jewish people was openly and harshly condemned. Uh, I mean, you would be mocked and, and excoriated if, if they found out you're trying to do anything towards Jews. And anybody that they ever found out outside of our group that was doing any sort of efforts to evangelize Jews was, was just excoriated, John. That was one of the you know, statements William Branham made that I started to realize that this was in fact a different gospel. It was not Christianity. And, um, another embarrassing thing for me, I'll mention, um, I went through classes after leaving the cult and 
one of the classes was what is the gospel. And it's honestly, Charles, I almost didn't attend it because they asked me if I wanted to join. I said, well, I already know the gospel. And I said, okay, what is it? <laughs> and embarrassingly, I made a fool of myself. And um, so I took the class and I understood, you know, there was an old covenant and the old covenant failed, the, you know, so on and so forth. So God had to send his son to, you know, die on the cross and then pay the penalty of the old covenant law and then enter us into a new covenant of grace and you know start to finish i understood the bible and it was at that point i reread the bible i lost count but i want to say it was at least 10 to 12 times i reread it cover to cover to try to just wash all the stuff out of my head and I started to realize that, you know, a lot of these things were programmed into my head. I knew that William Branham said the gospel was not to the Jews. I believed it. I believed when he said that he was the one. And I started, you know, like like any good cult believer, you start to read, you know, scriptures from the Bible that are symbolism, like revelation, and you start to plug the cult leader, the central figure into those. So when it talked about the two witnesses going out, I thought, well, that must be William Branham. Who's the other one? And, you know, there are other ministers I know who I've <laughs> studied and heard them say that they believe they're one of the two witnesses. And so you start to plug yourself in this. But after hearing the gospel, understanding the gospel, there was a period of time in which people in the message would actually talk to me. It didn't last very long, but they did. And so I would ask them, what is the gospel? And you get a different answer from every single person. Many of them who claim to be Christian, who were devout readers of the Bible, and they would say, gospel is the power. It's the, you know, there were so many different answers that I got that were not in any way, shape, or form close to even resembling the gospel. And that's the point in which I realized that what William Branham did was actually anti-biblical and he would this specifically for the Jews. He's in direct conflict with Romans 1:16, where Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God into bringing salvation first to the Jew." So you've got William Branham, the gospel is not to the Jew, and you've got the Apostle Paul, it was first to the Jew. And remember, Charles, that alleged vision that he plagiarized from Clarence Larkin. He talks about seeing people in <laughs> in this underworld that's below heaven and he says he sees all of his people and he says but i preach the same message that paul preached well here's paul saying the gospels to the jew and here's william branham saying i disagree with the apostle paul i choose the anti i choose the anti-semitism route of the gospel and we're going to exclude the jew from our gospel right you know the Apostle Paul said the gospel is to the Jew first. William Branham says the gospel is not even to them, right? I mean, you can't get more more opposite, right? And so, you know, and, and of course, some people in there will argue, well, you don't understand the context. Oh, I absolutely understand the context. I lived my whole life in this thing. So did yeah. you, John. I know exactly what William Branham is saying here. I mean, we're here in Jeffersonville. I, I've known all, all those different people that knew him, I mean, we know exactly what he was talking about here. William Branham did not want the Jews preached to. He did not want them converted. He did not want them in the church. He wanted them in the land of Israel. And then after that, he thought that he would go to Israel and convert them, you know, in a day, more or less, is what he thought. 
which again did not work out. And of course, all that was revised after he died into an, an something else because he's dead, right? Either you got the return ministry people, or you've got uh, other people who converted it over into two witnesses going to them, right? I know message theology like the back of my hand, and I can take you through every you know every different stream of it. So I just want our listeners to know we're not we're not here in a I don't know what the I know exactly what the message taught. All right, that's what I where I'm going at. And William Branham was totally for the separation of Jews from everybody else. We'll we'll go on and, and get to really the end points of some of this stuff too. You know, Charles, I get accused a lot. You've probably seen it in the comments about people who are in the message and they say, well, you were never part of this. You never understood it. I listened to these tapes. You know, there were other kids that I grew up with that were reading comic books and watching television, all this stuff. I didn't have any of this uh, for a good part of my life. We like many message believers, we sometimes did, sometimes didn't. But the one thing that was consistent is every morning, every day during school, after school, in the evening, I listen to these recordings of William Branham constantly. I can almost quote entire sermons verbatim. Um, so, yeah, I, I know that these things were said. And the difficult part for me is because I unfortunately brainwashed myself by, by doing this, by listening to these. It's a gift and a curse. This stuff was in my head, and it has taken years for me to wash this out of my head. Yeah, you know, the the things I just said, for example, about, you know, message like return ministry and things like that. You know, if you're outside of the message, you have no idea what I just said, right? Because all of these yeah. things are loaded terms. But inside the message, I just said like uh, 20 sermons worth of stuff in like five sentences. Because as soon as you say those phrases, the people in the message have all been indoctrinated. And when I say return ministry, there's a whole – I mean that just sets off a whole bunch of stuff in these people's minds, right? Like so we we can say – I, I try to not even use any of those phrases anymore, John. But um, anyways, I said that for the sake of our message, people. I know we know what we're talking about. <laughs> What's interesting is that, you know, I'm still trying to digest this. So we're in the early stages of it. But we now have the overloaded language, the loaded language that Winrod used. I find it all sprinkled throughout William Branham's sermons, and I'm still trying to grasp the concept that when William Branham said communism, it was a loaded term for the people of white supremacy in this era that he was working with. And that term meant, you know, it wasn't just that it meant Jewish people. It was like you mentioned return ministry. Say return ministry, if you're not in this cult and have never been, imagine it as though it's a book entitled Return Ministry, and cover to cover, somebody has read this book a thousand times, and when you say Return Ministry, everything in that book comes into their head. Well, when William Branham says communism, every single thing that was indoctrinated by Roy Davis, Winrod, Upshaw, I mean, the list goes on and on, all of these men that are working with him. Communism was specifically referring to the Jews. However, it was this entire theology of anti-Semitism that, you know, came into their head when he said the word communism. Right. You know, when when you look at the message, you know, some of the teachings you, you could chalk up to, his, you know, the historic anti-Semitism and historic Christianity, right? I mean, anti-Semitism did not 
enter Christianity in the 1940s and 50s with William Branham. I mean, it, it's no. been there has been anti-Semitic streams of Christianity for for hundreds and hundreds of years. So, you know, some of it you can chalk up to the historic anti-Semitism, but there's other things in William Branham's sermons that indicate he had specifically been influenced by the anti-Semitism of Nazism and Christian Mm -hmm. identity theology, right? So Martin Luther, for example, who was anti-Semitic, did not believe Jews were communists, right? Yeah. There what that that didn't exist back then. That is a creation of Nazi propaganda. It came into the message via Christian identity theology. And yeah, William Branham absolutely com- bought into the conspiracy that communism was a Jewish plot, a Jewish conspiracy. Let me uh, read a quote to that effect. Um, William Branham says this in his 1963 sermon, "The Uniting Time and a Sign." He says the Jews, the Jew united themselves against Jesus as their as their Messiah. Therefore, we see what happened. We see the same thing happening now, communism uniting to destroy the church, right? William Branham bought into the, bought into that conspiracy theory, John. And if, if you look at his sermons, you'll find that many times he tells us that he compares communist, Jew, Jew, communist. He goes back and forth. And, and you know how much he preached on communism. Like, everybody knows how much he preached on communism. My goodness, right? And it turns my stomach, honestly, looking back to think that he may have been talking about Jews every time he talked about communism. I mean, that just turns my stomach. But it is very clear that quite a number of times when he was talking about communism, he was definitely inferring that it was a Jewish plot. And, you know, it, it, communism is a terrible thing. It sure is. I mean, but communism is not a Jewish conspiracy. I mean, that is just utterly ridiculous. And where does that come from? Where does that idea come from? It comes from Nazi propaganda. That yeah. is where that idea comes from. It was imported into Christian identity theology. And that's the kind of thing that Gerald Winrod was preaching. That's the kind of thing Wesley Swift was preaching. And William Branham would have had to have picked it up somehow in that in that though you know in connection to those things goodness now that we know that he was doing this and now that we know specifically that the men that he was working with was doing this for me this becomes even more disgusting because think about this charles <clears throat> william branham is going to the groups of people that will support his revivals and that includes a large number of people that were not anti-Semitic. So when he's speaking to those crowds, he can openly say communism, and they just think, okay, he's talking about communism. And that's a very horrific theme, you know, especially during the 50s and 60s, during the communist scares. But think about the other side of the coin. He is also going to groups that entertain him because he is a part of this Nazi conspiracy and we're going to continue to solidify that research. But he's part of this thing. All of the men that he's working with is when he is in that same church that is, you know, in the same ideology, when he says communism to them, it means an entirely different thing. <clears throat> and the part where it becomes problematic for me, Charles, there was a point in time in which mainstream Christianity fully knew that William Branham was racist. After he preached Serpent Seed, he even mentions 300 ministers rising up against him, and so they cut him off. He started to lose all of that support. Well, who does who is he left with? He is left with these scattered churches that are 
quite frankly, many of them, I even know some of them are extremely racist. So when he's speaking the things that I hear from 1960, what is it, approximately 1960 to 1965, I went back and read those after we discovered this, and oh my gosh, he is fueling the fires that grew out of those very racist individuals and sermon, you know, individuals and peoples. And uh, it just, it angers me, Charles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it is. When I went back and there's some, there's still some more stuff here we're going to read through, but there is certain things, John, and you know, when I was looking at these quotes, I said, I'm going to throw up. I've got to, I've yeah. got to walk away because when you're in the message, somehow you are completely blind to this stuff. But you, you, when you start thinking clearly and you look back, it makes you want to throw up. I mean, it made me want to throw up looking at some of the things that, uh, at least one of the, some of the things I'll read here. But I'll, let me go to another thing too. So you know, as as you realize, William Branham is not just sharing historic views about Jews in his sermon from Christianity. He is sharing views that developed within Nazi ideology and Christian identity theology. He's sharing, yeah modern anti-Semitic views in his in his sermons. And as you go through, let me give you another a Nazi conspiracy theory that actually that he shared many times, many times. And 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 there's a book that William Branham talked about reading lots of times on tape. I'll read it to you in this quote. And I'm really thankful. I want to say too, I'm very thankful for Rebecca Branham and George Smith. They put out these series of magazines, Sean. This is Only Believe magazine. And in this one, for example, they they catalog all the pictures of books that's in William Branham's library, for example. And if if, if you notice that picture right there, uh, you know, it's probably right about <laughs> there. Right is that shelf head. right? Yeah. So I I have painstakingly collected many many of the books from William Branham's library. Um, I did this while I was still in the message because I I was very curious, but. I'm, I'm very thankful to uh, George Smith and Rebecca Branham for, for putting these things out because, you know, if they hadn't done this, John, a lot of this stuff, it wouldn't be so clear, so easily pieced together for me. So yeah. I, I really think they were doing the work of God when they put those magazines out for us. I know several people who escaped the message because of the work that George and Rebecca uh, have been doing. Uh, George Smith, Rebecca Branham Smith. <clears throat> I also... Um, Right before I left the message, I discovered that William Branham was not under the cloud, you know, the <laughs> the message cloud that you see hanging in the churches. And when I discovered this, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Did they know? And that was what sealed the deal for me. When I saw that magazine of Rebecca, uh, George and Rebecca, you know, clearly saying, no, there's no way that William Branham was under the cloud. I was like, OK, these these people knew. And it was at that point I realized that I'm in something that they're they're toying with my mind, and that's when I left. So, like you, I'm I'm extremely thankful for them. I don't understand why they have removed those from from public access. Yeah, yeah. So Rebecca is passed away now, and I, I like I said, like you said, John, the stuff around the cloud and the seals. That is the thing that sealed the deal for me too. Like when I saw that, I'm like, oh my goodness, like. There's no way to salvage this, you know, once once you yeah. see that. If you know message theology, that is such a pivotal thing. I look forward to when we get to a full episode from that. It's probably <laughs> going to be months from now, honestly. That's near the end of his ministry. But, yeah, that it's actually that, too, which woke me up. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It, message, the message is 
broke beyond repair when when you found out that that was a hoax. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm very thankful Rebecca published that before she passed away. Yeah, uh, William Branham's daughter. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, otherwise, I I don't think we would know pieces of this that we have. So, and she was very open. She was very open that William Branham was had misled us on all that stuff. So I I really appreciate that from her. And um, yeah. So going back, anyways, we have pictures of all the books in his library. We know the things that he read. And um, there is a there is a Nazi conspiracy theory called the stab in the back. This is a Nazi theory about how the Germany lost World War One. The Nazis invented this conspiracy, John. This is a Nazi conspiracy. <laughs> and William Branham shared it in his sermon dozens and dozens and dozens yes. of times if you go look. Let me read, and here's one he tells us where he got it from. Um, this is from the 1954 sermon, The Seal of God. He says, There went a great ruler forth, a World War I, first time in all world's history, a world war. Where was he starting for? Right straight into Germany. What happened? strange no one knows till this day how it stopped how the war stopped nobody knows he says read decline of the world war every volume i've read it there is not one person the only thing they know is their come forth surrender no one knows who gives it and if you if you look nazi propaganda they basically say no one knows how world war ii ended it must have been a jewish conspiracy right like this is this is a world war one conspiracy theory that was invented by the nazis so William Branham is repeating Nazi conspiracies in his sermons, okay, about Jewish people. And he even there tells us where he got the stuff from. He says the book was Decline of the World War, but actually from the pictures of his library, the book is called Decline of the West. He got the title wrong. Um, but it's by Oswald Sprengler, who is a one of the most prominent Nazi propagandist writers of all time, John. Yes. He's telling us in his sermons that he is reading Nazi propaganda, okay? And and if you look, he references that book and shares lots of stuff out of that book on tape. Um, and that's where he got his, you know, to share that conspiracy theory about um, how World War I uh, mysteriously ended. It's unbelievable. When you shared that with me, I'll be honest, Charles, I didn't believe you. There, I was. I thought in my head, <clears throat> I've known these anti-Semitic statements for years, and I just thought, you know, it's William Branham, and it's a different era than us, and yes, I knew that there were people who knew back then it was extremely awful, but I thought I just assumed it was him just making statements that he thought would appeal to the crowd. But when you said that, I started reading that, you know, quotes from that book and learning about the men who wrote it and its influence, and especially during, you know, Nazi Germany. I thought there's no way this can be real. But the deeper I dug, Charles, I'm in full agreement with you. This, not only was he referencing for this particular statement that you're about to read, but Charles, the entire message. That was, I mean, this was called a Nazi book of prophecy. And, yeah. oh my gosh, Charles, when I started applying this book and what it's saying to William Branham's prophecies, his doomsday, his end of day scenarios, he was literally propagating the contents of this book to his American audience. 
right? And, and William Branham tells us on tape, he had all of Oswald Springler's books, John. Yeah. Like, not just, not just those ones. And those ones aren't the worst ones. My goodness. Um, I mean, he, I, I don't even know if I, you know, if we should say some of the stuff that's in these books, but one of them is the main it's called The Hour of Decision, and that book is primarily about how Germany needs a revolution to save the world from the peril of other races intermingling and destroying white culture, basically. You know, it, it's that's the kind of stuff that Otto Springler was writing in his books. It's awful, and <clears throat> To the people who are researching, you, if you go and you search the transcripts for the author's name or the book name, William Branham deceptively changed the name of the book. You have to really read the book and understand it and study it and study you know, the history surrounding the book to understand that, no, he's talking about this book. He doesn't mention the author's name. He gives a false name for the book, and it, it just blows my mind to think this was all part of a Nazi conspiracy. Right. And we can actually validate it to that book. You know, there's places where he tells on this page in that volume, find this thing and you can match it up perfectly. He's talking about Oswald Springler's books. So there, there's no question. Um, so, yeah, he, he's he's directly incorporating Nazi propaganda. And it's not just conspiracy theories, John. He actually uses this and I won't go through these quotes, but he uses Nazi propaganda to inform his interpretations of end-time prophecy. And I'll say one thing. He talks about the 11th hour people, the 11th hour people a lot um, through some of his sermons. And if you want to go look, go look. But the 11th hour people, that is a code word for the Jews, right? And the 11th hour people in the Nazi propaganda, that's the Jews, right? And he will... It, it's it's sick, John, when you go look at the stuff that he, he tied to that stuff. So anyways, uh, you know, another thing that came out of William Branham's teachings is that William Branham and the message generally believe that the end of days scenario will play out when the the Jews will sell out to the Antichrist, basically. The Jews will sign a deal with the Antichrist, give the Antichrist all their money, who is the Catholic Pope, right? And that will then bring on the end of day scenario, right? So, so the message and William Branham believe that the Jews play an important role in bringing on the end of days, basically. Um, and that goes a lot to with them want him, you know, the desire for them to move back to Israel so that they can ultimately fulfill the end day, end of day scenario by selling themselves out to the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's really what the message believes. Yeah. That was the one that honestly, blew my mind and blew the whole lid off of this because that was exactly what Gerald Winrod was saying. And you can, you know, I, <laughs> I went into a deep dive in the newspapers. There are thousands of articles about him, so it's difficult, but <clears throat> he had, um, he had this 1933 prophecy about Mussolini who was rising in power. And he believed that Mussolini was the antichrist and he was going to, you know, bring the Jews against the United States. There was this whole end of day scenario that he was playing out. And then William Branham says that he's almost arrested for talking about, you know, this, <laughs> the end of day scenario that involved Mussolini. Well, whenever I started to piece this together, oh my gosh, he is literally taking Nazi conspiracy, converting it into 
quote unquote the message. And then that becomes the basis, the foundation for his alleged 1933 prophecies. And he got it directly from from Winrod and the Nazi conspiracy. Right. And William Branham did this thing, too, where he he put like the Jewish people into two categories. Right. So there is the what he called the natural Jew. And then there's what he called the spiritual Jew. And the natural Jews are all going to be cannon fodder <laughs> and the spiritual Jews will get to, you know, in some way go to heaven. I say in some way because William Brandt, they never were going to be equal. Um, and so he he believed that as time rolled on, you know, and, and the Jews returned to their homeland, that the natural Jews would sell themselves out. We called them in our message, John, in our sect of the message, we called them the political Jew is what uh, our, our ministers called them. So the political Jews would sell out to the Antichrist and then and William Brown preached this in the fifth seal, uh, and he preached this several other times too, that after after this there would be a second holocaust. You know, the message actually believes in, prophesied by William Branham, that there's going to be a second holocaust. Um, and this is part of the end of day scenario. Um, and in the second holocaust, all of these political or natural Jews will be um, sadly um, wiped out. I mean, William Branham, this is a key part of his teaching in the fifth seal right um and and you know where i come from um john i know some of them will say well there's one part of the fifth seal that's unique and they're talking about that part you know because that part didn't come from clarence larkin right it came from nazi propaganda i mean it's worse yeah, it's, worse. it's worse i mean it's worse where that <laughs> stuff came from yeah and you know i've i'm still in the early stages of digesting the doctrines of Wesley Swift, but Swift also had the end of day scenario where <clears throat> there was coming a another slaughter, and it was he included the Jewish race and the blacks into the same slaughter, and so there was this end of day scenario where the members of white supremacy in the nation were arming themselves, preparing for the coming war, and this led to all kinds of horrific movements in U.S. history. I mean, you study. You study white supremacy in the 60s, you'll get the idea of what I'm talking about. Well, William Branham joined into that. He mentions Martin Luther, and he says Martin Luther is going to lead his people to the slaughter. So he is not just taking the Nazi propaganda from Winrod. He's actually taking Swift's take on this Nazi propaganda, mixing it together, and he's creating a quote-unquote message that's leading up to an end-of-day scenario where there is a race war, and we have to basically arm ourselves and become militant. Charles, think of the sheer number of people in the message who arm themselves and become militant. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a massive amount of people, John, maybe even, maybe even the majority, you know. Um, and, you know, it, it, there is historic church teachings about this stuff, right? And William Branham takes historic teachings on this stuff, but he is mixing in these anti-Semitic Nazi ideas, just like Wesley Swift did, John. And, you know, I'm convinced, honestly, that that's where this stuff came from, is through William Branham's, um, you know, having access to the materials from Wesley Swift. Uh, I really believe that's where this stuff comes from. Let me uh, l let me read uh, a couple quotes about this, how William Branham believes the Jews will empower the Antichrist. So he says, and he makes a covenant with the Jews. This is from the first seal. The first seal, this is like one of William Branham's, in the message, this is one of the 
most important sermons William Branham ever preached. In my sect, certainly. This is this is Maybe in his the most important. Yes. Yeah, he says, and he makes his covenant with the Jews. In the midst of this, three and a half years, he breaks his covenant. He's talking about the Antichrist. And as soon as he gets things wrapped up and gets the money from the Jews tied up, right? And when he does this, oh my, he's called the Antichrist until the end of the church age. So, you know, William Branham is teaching that the Jews will give all their money to the Antichrist and empower him to destroy the world. Um, he says here again in 1963, another sermon, Oh Lord, just once more, he says, and what will it do? Speaking about the Jewish people, he says, it'll sell its birthright straight into Catholicism. Then what are you going to do? That's the gold of the world, them and the Jews. And that's the covenant he made with Israel. So, again, William Branham is just saying that the Jews are going to team up with the Pope and bring on the end of days scenario, right? Which is, which is Christian identity theology. That is Wesley Swift's Christian identity theology. That is not part of historic Christianity. There, there is no, there is no stream of theology besides Christian identity theology which taught that, John. That is out of Christian identity theology, which was in, which is a merger of British Israelism and Nazism. That's where that came from. And it all predates William Branham by, by a few decades. That's where he got that stuff. Um, and, and, and it's ridiculous. The Catholics and the Jews do not control the world's gold. They're not the... I mean, it's just... William Branham is saying stuff there that it cannot possibly be correct, right? I mean, it, it's... it's it, This is just nonsense conspiracy theories. Um, yeah, and in the message, they take... <clears throat> there was apparently a doctrine that was to be introduced to the people, and then there was a doctrine surrounding this that William Branham basically constrained only to the elites. My grandfather was part of this. And after William Branham died, little nuggets of, they called them nuggets, little nuggets of this information would go out into sermons. Just They would not tell you the whole thing. They would just give you bits and pieces, and they'd call it a nugget. And people were, with itching ears, eager to hear these little nuggets, they called them. And one of them was that the United States actually had no money. The Jews controlled all the money. And um, Rome is the one who housed all the money. And my grandfather even mentioned this whenever he was preaching in the tabernacle. He would say that you can go down to Fort Knox, and Fort Knox is empty. What you see on the news when they show these bars of gold, it's all a facade, it's fake. There's absolutely no money in Fort Knox. And then he would tie it to the Nazi conspiracies. And then after the service, <laughs> the people who were, again, in, in the inner circle, they would talk about how they witnessed some train you know, hijacking or whatever. And there was supposed to be some gold bars on it and they were stolen and further fueling the, the communist, the Roman, the not the Jewish conspiracies, right? Well, this thing was privately talked about after William Branham died, little pieces of it became introduced into some of the key figures in the message into their churches. Now, if you went into some little tiny church in the hills of, I don't know, the hills of Tennessee, maybe not, but the people who were with William Branham, who were in that inner circle, if you attended their churches, you heard all of this stuff. And and this stuff is nuts. 
And the people who believe this, you're a nut. I hate to say it, you're a nut if you believe this stuff. Because, John, you know, we live, I live 25 miles from Fort Knox. I know people who work at Fort Knox. You know that? <laughs> yeah. Guess what? The gold is still in there. <laughs> still, I mean, watch, watch James Bond, man. You can see the gold in Fort Knox. <laughs> right. And, and, and the, the Jews and the Catholics don't control the world's gold. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I believe, Communist China controls the majority of the gold. So you got to throw some communists in here instead of talking about you. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they have the majority, the largest part, percentage of world gold as far, I believe, at the present day anyway. So I could be mistaken. It's been a little while since I've looked into that stuff. I actually took a deep dive in that because the specific statements made by the inner circle was that <clears throat> all the gold was in the Catholic Church. And then when you tie communism to it, you're tying the Jews to the Catholic Church. And so the Jews were part of this. I did a deep study on just Rome and the Catholic Church, and there was a period of time in which they suffered financially. So there's no way that all the gold is in the Catholic Church. Yeah. You, you can look all of this stuff up. You can you can look up how much the Catholic Church is worth. You can look up how much the Jewish wealth is worth. It is, it is, it's tiny, John. Yeah. Um, the it, it it's just it's it's nothing compared to the wealth of the world. It's no. very very small uh, in in global terms. Let me get get to just a couple more things before we wrap up. One, um, I want to read this illustration that uh, William Branham used very frequently in his sermons too. This is the one where I started to read this and I realized how many times he did this. This is the one that made me feel sick, John. William Branham used this illustration. I'm about to read dozens of times he he had this sermon that he preached and through his campaigns he tended to preach the same sermons over and over and over and over again he changed the title or adjust them a little bit but this one he preached dozens of times and it's it's basically it, it goes up to the point that you know jesus knocks on the door of your heart and you need to let him in like and that's where the sermon kind of that's one of the key parts of the sermon and the sermon title is usually something about the door opening a door or knocking at a door well, in this lead up to Jesus coming and knocking on your door, he, let me read uh, what William Branham would do. He would say, What a privilege it would have been for a peasant in the days of Adolf Hitler in Germany, the Fuhrer of Germany, if he would have went down to a poor man's house and would have knocked at the door, and the man would went to the door and raised up the curtain and looked, and the Fuhrer of Germany, the great Hitler, stood at his door, the ruler, the dictator of Germany. He would say, well, I'm not worthy that such a man like that would knock at my door. Do you mean Hitler wants to speak to me, a peasant? Why, he would throw open the door and fall on his face and say, Hitler, enter my home. Sure, anything that's here is yours, great Fuhrer of Germany. Certainly, we, he would have been happy to have done it. Not only that, but he would have been honored to have done it, to think that Hitler would have come to his door. That's from the 1957 sermon, I Stand at the Door and Knock, but... So that's that's a uh, very disturbing to read, John. Isn't that disturbing? It's it's awful, Charles. I'm holding back such a rant. I yeah, it just angers me. What's even more disturbing, John? And I'll let you rant. Is that? And I'm not going to go on to read this. He then goes on to say, just like you've let Hitler in, you need to let Jesus into your heart. Like it, it he starts off letting in Hitler, and then he transitions to letting in Jesus. I mean. What kind of a sick, disturbing thing is that? It, I just still can't believe it, Charles. This, this was deeply rooted in my program. I, I remember going into 
houses of message believers and seeing, you've seen it too, the photo of Jesus standing at the door and knocking and behold, I stand at the door and knock. This was sermon themes coast to coast. And you know how it is in the message. Whenever they preach about a Bible topic, they don't preach about the Bible topic. They preach about what the quote unquote prophet said about the Bible topic. So every single one of these sermons in every single one of these churches that I attended from coast to coast, when they had their behold, I stand at the door and knock sermon, it was about what William Branham said about this. And then to learn that he is actually comparing Hitler the most vile, <laughs> the, this, the most horrific villain in world history, Charles. He's comparing that man to Jesus Christ in that sermon. I am so angry. I, I'm just, I'm holding back, but I, I can't believe that this was part of my indoctrination. I can't believe that my parents let me sit in this. I can't believe that even still today, there are children being manipulated to believe that Hitler was equated to Jesus Christ standing at the door and knocking. There are schools that teach this, Charles. There's a school here locally where these message kids are being programmed to believe these things that William Branham said, where they give them these tapes and they, they make them, you know, get out to by themselves and listen to these things. And I, I, I have to stop the rant, but to think that we were manipulated to equate Jesus Christ with Hitler angers me to no end. It disturbs me, John. Like when I look when I looked at that and I, I realized like he didn't just do it once. He did that dozens of times. Dozens of times in those sermons. I mean it it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I mean yeah, uh, your rant said it all. You know, I think we can understand why William Branham's sermons appealed to Nazis, because he was saying nice things about Hitler in them. Yeah. William Branham said nice things about Hitler in his sermons, John. Um, sadly, a lot. Um, my, what what is wrong? What is, I mean, uh, how in the world? I, I like, when you're in the, I did not know, until I looked at this the other day, I did not grasp that that was there. So one last thing here, John, um, one last thing I want to point out before we wrap up this episode is you, what's the end state of all this? Like what, what does the message believe the ultimate destiny of, of the Jewish people are? Let me, let me read again. Let's look at what William Branham taught on this. Um, this is from the sermon, the 10 virgins and the 144,000 Jews. This is the sermon. William Branham says in here, I'll just read one little section. This is not out of context. He says, the Gentile is not a servant. It's a bride. It's a son. That is the son. The church is. The Jews are the servants. Repeat. The Jews are the servants. John, we believe Christian identity theology in the message. That's where this stuff comes from. So, And if you look at this sermon, in the same sermon, he also goes through, we're just kind of focusing on anti-Semitism here, but he goes through and he talks about the heathens, the non-white races also being in the same category. They will be the servants. Uh, let me jump down a little further in that, that sermon, and I'll read um, another section. He says, but this class will never be with that class. That's the bride. And you notice the bride is with him in the temple. The others labor and bring their glory into the kingdom. But the bride is with the bridegroom continually. The others will never be allotted. 
like these down here, they will serve. So, John, William Branham is teaching Christian identity theology. This is not anywhere in historic Christianity. This is the teachings of Wesley Swift. This is stuff out of Gerald Winrod's writings. He is teaching that Jews and non-whites will be in a state of perpetual servitude in the heavenly kingdom. All right, this is exactly what William Branham's teaching. My sect of the message, John, had very elaborate, drawn-out teachings on this. And again, generally the word black and Jews omitted. But again, it goes back to these things. William Branham clearly taught this in his sermons. Like, we, we don't have to... Uh, it takes zero reading into this to what William Branham is saying. He is clearly saying that these people are going to be servants to the bride of Christ, to the message believers for uh, forever. Yeah, there's a large number of people who are in <clears throat> the message and its splinter groups that aren't aware that the servant theology was a thing. But anybody who was in William Branham's inner circle, they had the servant theology deeply rooted into not just their racist ideologies, but in their threats. My grandfather is no exception to this rule. There are there are many people who know my grandfather who believe him to be the most humble, genuinely loving man. And, and he was a very good man if you were on his good side. There are a large number of people, well, a, a smaller number of people, who have escaped the cult, and they escaped because they saw the other side. For example, there are women who were physically abused in the message. Their husbands were beating them, and William Branham instructed their husbands to beat them. There are several quotes about beating your wife with a barrel slat, and one horrific quote he talks about two-by-fours, grab a board and beat your wife if, if she's not. It, it angers me too, but <clears throat> there are women who approached my grandfather, who were being physically abused. And this, this was part of the theology. If you leave your husband, you've divorced him, and you're the one who's sinning. And if you marry another, you're doomed to hell. And then there were, there were people who, if they did divorce and marry another, and still attended my grandfather's church, who came back and tried to, you know, talk through their very, very, sad situation my grandfather would tell him tell them you must leave your current husband and if and only if your husband will take you back you might be a servant to the bride i mean that's how awful this was it wasn't just my grandfather that taught this so in the inner circle there was <laughs> it's it's stupid when i think about it but there was this this conspiracy theory of heaven that I think it originated with William Branham. You can find testimonies of people saying that this came from a dream or some vision of William Branham that he told in private about heaven being all of the, the houses in heaven were actually rooms in a pyramid. So everybody was in this pyramid structure and at the top was Jesus. And then, you know, the heads of the message were in the, you know, the tier above this. Then you had the rank and file members. Well, below this, you had the mongrels, you had the Jews, you had the wives who had left an abusive spouse and divorced and remarried. Th those are the people who are servants to this big tier of a pyramid. And 
I knew this growing growing up. I didn't know it to the extent that I did after I left the message, but I knew bits and pieces of it because I would be sitting in sermons or we even around Easter here when everybody congregates to watch <laughs> William Branham rise up out of his grave. They would hold these testimony meetings, and I would listen with awe as these guys would talk about the weird things that Branham said, thinking I was collecting these quote-unquote nuggets. Well, part of the nuggets were the slaves that were going to (laughs) – it angers me, man – but the slaves that were going to serve us in heaven – and as a child, this this really creates a distorted view of Christianity when you think you're going to a place where you're going to have servants. That's awful, Charles. Yeah, and you, you're so right there, John. In my sect of the message, this stuff was very elaborate. I mean, Raymond Jackson taught this in spades, you know, went into deep explanation of how all this was worked. Yeah, there there is, and it all goes back. You You can just, for example, read that sermon— the ten virgins and the hundred forty-four thousand Jews. I mean, William Branham spells it out in that sermon. There is going to be, in his t- views, which is Christian identity theology, there's going to be a stratified hierarchy in heaven. And you're exactly right describing it—a pyramid structure. You know, at the top is the message believer, and then below are all the other subcategories who are servants to the people above them. And William Branham even taught that the pagan heathens would not be destroyed. Um, that the pagan heathens would be permitted to come in and be the basically the lowest tier of servants in 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 this thing, right? And he said that in that sermon that uh, the ten virgins, one hundred forty four thousand Jews. So, and like, remember all, the all heathens. The, remember the heathens. Charles was the code word for people with black skin. Yes, and it's very clear that's who he's talking about. I mean, and he he very different times. It was very explicit in what he's saying. And he, this, this stratified control, like, this, in my sector of the message, what, what they did is they further developed this into what all the requirements are to get into all of these different categories. Um, and, and honestly, when you just step back, John, I mean, I don't think the Bible teaches that pagans are going to be saved okay like it's it's hard to pull you know what i mean yeah but but william branham taught um you didn't have to accept christ to be saved actually and he taught this in lots of categories of people right and these people would still come into the they like he said they would not be in the temple with the bride but they would be servants uh you've heard i mean there's that racist rant by uh What's his name down in Happy Valley? I won't say his name. But he talks about that in those quotes. The people outside the city. These are the servants to the people in the city, to the message believers, right? This is the teachings of the message. And this stuff is still taught publicly. I mean, that guy got in the news, John. Yeah. His rant made national news in the United States when he was ranting about um, no interracial marriage and the people outside the city, you know, um, Ugh. Yeah. Take it even a step further, Charles. Uh, William Branham was the foundation for many horrific things in Americanized Christianity and even some, to some extent world. So you've got William Branham and the healing revivals. You've got the latter rain movement that was created from this. So I'm, I'm building up the tiers of, of this thing that's built on top of Nazi ideology. Then all of that splintered and 
if you study the New Apostolic Reformation, every single spider web that came out, branched out from this, they can claim at the root of it, William Branham and his healing revivals. Well, they have become also in the news recently for their militant positions against different, you know, government leaders and ideologies. And if you take the thread of quote unquote scriptural references that they pull, they're actually basing it on William Branham's theology. And if you follow it to its origins, it is literally coming from this Nazi ideology. So in effect, you have the new apostolic reformation, the ones who are really deep into restorationism, who believe that they're going to just eradicate the quote unquote evil that, and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not a big fan of many politicians, but the evil that is there, they think they're going to kick them all out. They're going to create this reformation where they're going to very militantly kick them out and, and establish this new hierarchy. All of this is based on this Nazi ideology. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, this is crazy stuff, John. And I, I will say, in that national news story, uh, the message pastor was called the most racist preacher in America. So I, I believe, John, at present, the title most racist preacher in America belongs to a message preacher, uh, it does. as far as I know. Yes. I've, so, I've actually kept track of it to see if it ever changed, and it still has not changed. He is still. Yes. Social media has labeled him the most racist pastor in America. Yeah, and so we're, we're, this is the message. So we, again— you know, we're not the only ones saying this. And here's the thing. The people who were listening to those statements, they didn't even comprehend half of the loaded language that he used in that sermon. We're explaining it to you here if, you, if, you, if you're listening. So one, one thing I do want to say, John, uh, as a kind of a final disclaimer is, again, I do not believe the average message believer is anti-Semitic. And I suspect that a whole lot of people have no idea that William Branham even said these things. Because uh, I don't know about you, uh, I never heard our message preachers using uh, the let Hitler knock on the door of your heart quote. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they have enough sense not to repeat those quotes, right? Yeah. You know, even myself, again, I'm mortified that I have offended people. And every time I get a chance, I apologize to them. But <clears throat> I, I even, I would not consider myself anti-Semitic. What I will say is I was indoctrinated to say things that were anti-Semitic. So there are things that I would say, not just anti-Semitism, but racism. There are things that I would say if I were around a certain crowd that excluded the, the target audience of my horrific things. There are things that I said that were commonly said in the message. It, it wasn't just that my family was unique and we said these things and they, we had this racist family that I was raised in. This came from the message. This came from William Branham himself. I, I personally had never heard my parents say many of the things that I said that were horrific I heard them because I was constantly listening to these sermons of William Branham, constantly. So I indoctrinated, indoctrinated myself to be this way, but I was not anti-Semitic. I was just programmed to say things that were anti-Semitic, if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, you know, in, in the message, we love Israel. Israel gets unconditional support from people in the message. And anything Israel wants to do, especially as it relates to fulfilling the end-time prophecies, Israel gets unconditional support from message believers. So so on one side, 
the message is incredibly pro-Israel and in some incredibly pro-Jew, you know. But there are these things that have crept into message end-time teachings that actually have the roots in Nazi propaganda, which was imported to the message via Christian identity theology. And really, there just is no question when you step back. William Branham was using anti-Semitic slurs. He was promoting anti-Semitic stereotypes. He was promoting anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. And he was baking those things into his end-of-days teachings, right? And, and whether people realize it or not in the message, um, those things have colored the way the message looks at Jewish people. And so... I think that's that's the note I'll end on, John. Yeah. I don't know that I have a good note to end on because I'm still I'm still processing this. I'm still a little bit angry that this was I'm angry as a father that my children were raised in this. I'm very fortunate that two of my kids are young enough that when we left that they don't remember it, but I have one who remembers this and his words, Charles, were, I'm so glad that we, how did he say it? I'm so glad that we left this guy screaming like Hitler. And, I mean, think about it. William Branham, the structure of his sermons even matched the structure of Hitler's speeches. He would start out very calm, reserved, and then just a barrage of screaming, a barrage of hate. It wasn't a message that was uplifting. It, they were sermons that were specifically targeting people, individuals, ideologies, anybody basically who disagreed with him, he would scream at them. And we thought this was quote unquote love. And I mean, for me to wrap this up and without exploding into another rant, all I can say is after reading the Bible as many times as I have, I, you start to read personalities. When you start to read different individuals who are writing the books, you can you can kind of see this person writes differently than this person. There's a very human element to this. And these aren't people that would do what William Branham is doing. These are not people that would just berate people with hate. And that's what William Branham did. If you were you know, clothes that weren't the Pentecostal-style clothes, he's screaming at those people. Charles, there's not a single person who will take an insult who is being berated by another person and then suddenly decide, oh, I love this person and I want to do what he says. There's not a single person that does this. Not one. This is a manipulation tool to corral the people who are under your control. This is not to entice the people outside of your control to come into your control. It is a it is literally walls around a people so you can contain them and keep them acting in the way in which you want. This is not a message of Jesus Christ in any way shape or form. I guess that's how I'll end this in this rant. <laughs> yeah, you know William Branham has mixed mixed these really evil ideas into, uh, you know, um, into Christianity. And it's, 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 it is not healthy to have a belief that you are racially superior to others and that others will be your servants forever and all, all this stuff. I mean, is this is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please do not let Hitler into your hearts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and if Hitler comes knocks on your door um, and you have an opportunity to off him, you would have been doing the world a great favor. Yeah, so there you go. 
Yeah. If you've been enjoying our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org and christiangospelchurch.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the healing revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message, available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible. Join us again next week. We've got a great episode coming. 